0: Welcome to the Wealth Setting Podcast. This is episode 434. Today is November 27th, 2023. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, you can hear my voice it is getting better, but I'm still far from 100%. But it is what it is. And hey, in today's episode, I just want to give you a quick thought process about saving. And I know just coming through the Thanksgiving holiday and all the pre-Black Friday sales and then the Black Friday sales and then Cyber Monday. I mean, all the news, all the emphasis is on spending. That's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about saving. You know the mantra here at the Wellsteading Podcast. It's earn, save, invest. You do it in that order. Everybody wants to be an investor. Everybody wants to know where's the best place to invest $1,000 dollars. It's in Wall Street's best interest to convince everybody that they are an investor. That way, they can get their hand into your pocketbook, and they can charge you fees and sell you products and services and etc. I mean, no one makes much money on you just saving. The money's all made on the fees and the associations with the investing side of things. That's why you're constantly told to invest, invest, to invest. Now, I'm obviously not opposed to investing. I'm an individual investor. I'm also a professional investor. I have a client base that pays me to invest their money. So I'm not opposed to investing. I'm not opposed to paying or charging investment fees. But I think, like all things, there's a time and a place for investing. And not everybody is or should be an investor. Most people, because they're living paycheck to paycheck their emphasis should be on saving, not on investing. That's why I just don't willy-nilly take anybody in as a client and just try and build my assets under management, which again is the typical business plan in the financial or the Wall Street business model. I believe saving is distinct and separate from investing. Now, as far as saving, the big question is always, Well, how much should I save, and when do I go from being a saver to an investor? Well, they're all based on your personal situation, but I'm going to tell you how things worked in my life. My wife and I, ever since we've been married, at a minimum, we've saved at least 15% of our income, and I want to emphasize at least 15. It's much more than that in most years. And I know you're saying, oh, John, that's because, you know, you're living the dream. You're financially independent. Yeah, well, that's how I got to be financially independent. 30 years ago, I wasn't financially independent. 30 years ago, I had a regular job. I made a little bit more than the average guy, but not a whole lot. And certainly not when you factored in that my wife and I were raising six children. So that slightly above average income didn't go very far when we spread it across a household of eight. But you know, we still managed to find a way to save a minimum of 15% of our income. And our income was my income. It was a single family income because with six kids, guess what, my wife couldn't work outside the home. So it can be done. I won't belabor the point in this episode. I've talked about it before. I'm sure I'll talk about it in future episodes, but it comes down to lifestyle. That's why the 10th wealth building principle is that wealth is a lifestyle. And those habits that my wife and I had formed even before we were married and then carried them on as we were married and instilled them into our family, well, those habits, that lifestyle, that tradition was one of being frugal and saving our money. That conservation of our money allowed us to take advantage of investment opportunities as they came along. And so it builds your wealth, and in my opinion, it builds your family as well. Okay, no excuses on saving. You can find a way to save. Saving is like any good habit. It's something that everybody aspires to, but most people don't do much of it. And that's because it's so much easier to spend. But you have to be stronger than that. You have to be able to resist it. You stop spending just like you quit smoking cigarettes. You just do it. It's like breaking any other bad habit or any other addiction. So if you want to be a wellsteader, if you want to be financially independent someday, then you need to focus on saving. And I say that because it doesn't matter how much money you earn if you spend it all. Look at professional athletes, celebrities, people that get big inheritances, people that win the lottery. In many cases, within what, five or so years of their big windfall, they're broke. It's because they don't know how to save. They don't know how to manage their money. So just because you have a big source of income doesn't mean anything if you don't know how to keep it. And then that question is, well, how much should you save? Listen, you can use all kinds of online calculators or create a spreadsheet or do a back of the envelope calculation to come up with a number that's right for you because that's really the answer. It's what's right for you. How much money do you want to have and when do you want to have it? That's specific to you. There are plenty of people that are perfectly content to live on their social security check, you know, when, once they get older or to maybe supplement it with a little bit of savings. That's not the lifestyle I wanted. And so that's why I've been a diligent saver all my life. Because I wanted to have more than that. A lot more. But that's my goal. Again, it may not be your goal. Put those goals together. Come up with the magic number that you want at some point in the future, and then look where you're at. And then it's really just some simple arithmetic as to how you get there. The big variable, the big flaw is on what is the return rate on your investment going to be. And I call that a flaw because most people overestimate it. And it's also the weakest point in this whole chain of the thought process because we can put whatever number we want to in a spreadsheet, but none of us can predict the future. And so we don't really have as much control as we think we do on what the rate of return of our investment is going to be. And again, that's why I emphasize saving because your savings rate is something you can control that is within your sphere of influence. So I'm going to tell you save at least 15%. And whether that's of your income or your take home pay, you can, you know, you can work through that on your own. But if you run the numbers, go through the exercise, come up with what savings rate you're at, and then put in a reliable, realistic rate of return on your investment. And for our purposes, I'm going to call that about 8%. I think especially going forward, we're entering a period where we don't have the easy money policies that we've had over the last 10 or 15 years. We also don't have the population growth on a global scale to support the vast expansion of the global economy that we've seen over the last 30 or 40 years. And in general, the world, both in terms of individuals and governments, are laden with so much debt that I think is really going to hamper the growth rate unless we get some major, and I'm talking major, technological and productivity improvements. So I'd use 8% as a conservative, fairly realistic return on your money in the future. So do that back-of-the-envelope calculation. Look at how much money you have now, look at how much money you're putting into it every year, and then let it grow by 8% and see if that gets you where you want to be. I'll bet it doesn't. And that's why you're going to have to save 15 or 20 or whatever percent of your income to get there. I'm going to do a quick illustration here of that 15% savings, but I want to address the other side of the question, which is when do you really become an investor and not just a saver? Well, I've kicked this around for a lot of years. At one point, I really didn't have a good good perspective on that because, again, it's really an individual thing. But I've really come to the conclusion in recent years that you need to have about a year's pay saved up or a year's living expenses saved up to be a true investor. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't start dollar-cost averaging in the S&P 500 or, or whatever. The reason I say that you have to have that concentration of wealth you have to have about a year's pay saved up, is again, think about it. If you're getting an 8% rate of return on your money and all you have is $1,000 or even just say all you have is $10,000, well, 8% of $10,000 is $800. $800 isn't going to change your life. $800 is going to take forever to build your wealth. Now, on the other hand, if you have a year's pay saved up or a year's living expenses saved up, and you're investing that, and you're getting an 8% return on it, well, now you're probably talking about some real money. For example, purposes, let's just keep the numbers easy. Let's say that you have $100,000 of take-home family income. If you are taking home $100,000 and you're saving 15% of it, that means you're putting away $15,000, and consequently you're only living on $85,000, And if you have that $100,000 already saved up, 8% of that is another $8,000, which is more than enough to fund at least one of the spouse's Roth retirement accounts. But think about those numbers. You're bringing home $100,000. You're living off of $85,000 of it. You're putting $15,000 into savings. And that $100,000 you already have saved up is generating $8,000. That means you now don't have... Just $100,000 saved up, you have about $123,000 saved up. And this is where the magic of compounding interest kicks in. And since your initial investment portfolio is the size of your take-home pay, you're getting a cumulative investment rate of 23% a year, right? The 15% that you contribute and the 8% that your portfolio generates. That's a 23% increase of your take-home pay each year. And if you know the law of 72, you divide 72 by 23, and that means in a little more than three years, you're going to double the size of your investment portfolio. So in less than four years, you're not going to have just one year's pay saved up. You're going to have two years' pay saved up. And again, because of the magic of compounding interest, That 23% that you're saving every year, it keeps getting bigger because your portfolio size is growing every year. And so that 8% that your portfolio is earning is getting applied to a larger balance each year. So eventually, your portfolio is going to throw off more income than what you're saving. And that's the goal. The goal is to have your money be a slave for you, to work when you're sleeping, let me step back a second here and make this big emphasis on having a realistic rate of return on your investments. And again, to reiterate why it's so important that in the early stages of this, you're saving at least 15%. Again, let's imagine you have this $100,000 take-home pay. If you save 15% of that, that's $15,000. Let's say that you only have $30,000 saved up. To get a $15,000 return, you'd have to get a 50% rate of return on your $30,000. You may get lucky and hit a home run one year, but you're not going to get a 50% rate of return every year. And even if you had $70,000 saved up, to get a $15,000 return on a $70,000 investment, that's still more than a 21% rate of return. Building wealth is all about increasing your net worth. And in the early stages of being an investor, the biggest impact that you'll have to increasing your net worth is by what you contribute through savings. It's almost impossible to have large increases in your net worth simply by the yield you're receiving from your investments if you have a small amount of investments. Again, it's just mathematically impossible. So that's why it's crucially important that you can get up to that one-year pay saved up because then that investment portfolio can throw off enough income each year to be a respectable amount without having to take undue risk of trying to get unrealistic returns on your money. In that example I gave you, where you're starting out with $100,000 in savings, you have $100,000 in take-home pay, you're doing the 15% savings rate, you're getting the 8% return on your invested money, Again, the magic of compounding interest where you're effectively increasing your net worth at a rate of about 23% of your income, that means that in 19 years, and again, you can back of the envelope, calculate this, you can put it into a spreadsheet, but just using these rough numbers I'm showing you, that means that in 19 years, you're going to have more than 10 times your take-home pay. Now I know you're saying, oh, but inflation and all. Yeah, remember, we're not talking about inflation and how it impacts this part of our calculation to keep things simple, but assume that that you are increasing your take-home pay every year because you're getting more productive or you're getting raises, or you're at least keeping up or doing more than inflation to stay ahead of things so that 15% that you keep saving every year from your paycheck, it's going to be on a larger amount of money every year because theoretically with inflation, you're going to be earning more each year. So in our calculation, inflation more or less takes care of itself, but it's going to take you about 19 years to have your investment portfolio net worth be about 10 times your take-home pay. That's an important number because essentially that's where I tell people that financial independence starts. I know there's guys out there that talk about financial freedom, you know, when you pay off your debt and all, but no, that's just getting out of slavery. To be financially independent, I would say the baseline for that, the minimum threshold, is 10 times your take-home pay. And that's why when you look at things like term life insurance, you generally want to have at least 10 times the income that you're trying to protect with term life insurance. It doesn't make you rich, but what it allows you to do is have at least 10 years of living expenses available to you as a resource to take advantage of investment opportunities, to train for another career, to start your own business, you know, to move to another part of the country. It doesn't make you wealthy, but it does make you, quote, financially independent, at least financially independent for you know that 10-year period. And hopefully you're not taking all 10 years to be in the type of situation that you want to be in because you want to keep building up that war chest because the more money you have saved, Well, that's more of your life that you have in reserve. You know, my whole goal to building my wealth had nothing to do with winning consumer products. My goal was to be financially independent so I could call my own shots. You know, be captain of my own ship, live where I wanted to, associate with the kind of people I wanted to associate with, and be able to choose to work or not work. And really, when it comes to working and having a career... It was all about not having a career just to earn an income, but to have a career or a job that was a calling, something that I felt that I was born to do. To me, that's true freedom. And that's why money can buy happiness if you apply it in ways to create more freedom for yourself as opposed to just, you know, deciding on whether you're going to buy the latest Android or iPhone. So run those numbers for yourself. And if you truly want to be financially independent... If you start early enough, you're not just going to have 10 times your living expenses saved up. You're going to have 15 or 20 or 25 or 30 or more years of living expenses saved up. And that's where you truly become wealthy and truly become financially independent. And the more money you have saved up, the less concerned you have to be with the rate of return that you receive on your money. Because if you have that, you know, slightly more than 10 years saved up and you get an 8% rate of return, well, now you're generating about eighty dollars or more thousand dollars in our example. And remember, you're bringing home $100,000, but you're saving 15% of it. So that means that you're living off of $85,000. So that little more than 10 years plus of income saved up is effectively generating close to 100% of your needs. So you could theoretically live off of that amount of money on an attainable investment return of 8%. Now, hopefully you're not doing that. Hopefully you're continuing to work and supplement that because if you do that, that means that your portfolio is generating effectively a year's pay every year. So in addition to the 15% that you're putting in, your portfolio's making as much money as you're making at work. Again, that's the slavery of your money working for you, working while you're sleeping. But it gets better because when you get to the point where you have 20 years of income saved up or of living expenses, then you no longer need to get an 8% return on your money to match your annual living expenses, but you only need about 5%. And again, wealthy, not in terms of how many consumer products you can buy, but wealthy in that you are a free human being. To make the choices that you want to make in your life without having to ask someone's permission, without having to worry about whether Social Security is going to go bankrupt or not. Wealthy and independent in your own right. And it's achievable. But you know what? Less than 10% of the population ever achieves it. And in fact, much less than that. It's closer to about maybe 5 to 7% of people ever get in that position, even though each of us has the ability to get there. And this is not dependent on your social status or your IQ or what kind of career you have. Remember, this is based on your living expenses. I use the example $100,000. Well, the same logic applies if you're only bringing home $50,000. Because if you're only bringing home $50,000, you're obviously living off of that. And so the same numbers would apply. You don't need as much saved up to live at the rate you're living at because you're living off of less money. And likewise, if you're bringing home $400,000, will the same mathematics apply. Yeah, you're going to have to save up a whole lot more in terms of nominal dollar value, but it's still based on that 15% savings rate of what you're bringing home and then an 8% return starting with your one-year annual take-home pay or annual living expenses saved up. So the numbers are going to be bigger for someone that makes more money, but the arithmetic and the results are exactly the same. Some people can be financially independent and rich on a million dollars. Other people, it's going to take them $10 million. But that comes down to a lifestyle decision. Hey, in any case, stop making excuses about why you can't save and start saving today so you can be financially independent in the future. Well, hey, as always, until then, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best returns.